This is another episode of the Annoyed Not Offended podcast. For people who are never in a bad mood, everyone else is just annoying. And I'm your host, Sydney. Let's dive into what's getting under our skin this week. Okay, what is up, you guys? And welcome back for another episode of the Annoyed Not Offended podcast again this is a podcast for the unoffended but constantly irritated individuals remember it is not our fault that everybody is annoying as a fuck um (laughs) but as always I'm your host Sydney um you guys it has been a hot minute since I've recorded an episode life has been lifing but we back So we just go jump right into it. I am so happy to say that I got a guest too. So, you know, I came back with treats. I came back with goodies. Um, Nonetheless, as always, like I said, we just go jump right into it. But I am happy to be joined by this week's guest, Rennie Riot, who is a multidisciplinary visual artist, actor, and writer. Rennie uses both her comedic writing and performing to emphasize on the intersections of feminism and the identity of Black and queer womanhood. So, Rennie, you want to say hello to my guest? Howdy, y'all. My name's Rennie. I'm an Aries. I'm about five eight. <laughs> like, OMG. Well, I am so excited to have Rennie on. Crazy enough, um, she and I connected a while back when she quoted my t- tweet about exonerating cousin Faith um from Soul Food from all offenses, Amen. you know. You know, and I was already a fan of her work. So <laughs> it was just, I'm happy to know that there is another cousin Faith Stan out there who believes that. All the smoke belongs to Uncle Miles. Um, Uncle Miles. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Outside of that, like we're going to be chatting about Rennie's journey as a content creator in her latest book, Not Everyone Is Going To Like You, which I feel like is the perfect title for a book. So starting off with the first segment of the show, we have Fed Up or F***ed Up. So for any new listeners out there, and I hope I got some new listeners, but for any new listeners out there, Fed Up or Fucked Up is a segment I have dedicated for my audience to get to know my guests better because what better way to know somebody than to learn what gets under their skin. So Rini, would you like to go first or would you want me to go first? Um, okay, I feel like it's your podcast, so <laughs> you can go first. You know what? I love Southerners. You got to love that Southern hospitality. It comes out (laughs) no matter where they are at. Um, I can go first. I'll make mine quick. But yeah, I have been busy. Um, I know everybody's like, oh, it's been a while since you did a podcast episode. Yes, it has been because your girl moved across the country, um, started a graduate program as well as the fact that I have been traveling for said graduate program so it has been a lot and while I am very happy to have you know so many new opportunities at my doorstep and just you know more doors opening and old doors closing my body cannot take it like I don't know what it is about it but y'all when I tell you my skin can literally shows 
all of the stress that your girl is going through. Like every other day, it's a pimple and I'm grown. I'm an adult, but feel like I am going through another puberty. And I keep buying all of these different skincare products. I want to tell y'all, nothing is helping. And I'm just like, I'm getting mad. I am getting upset because <laughs> one, like one thing is like, you know, when you stress and then you like, okay, I'm stressed, but like, I look good. I'm I'm still able to kind of pull myself together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I try doing that, but then it's like the more the pimples arise and the more breakouts I have, inflammation and all this other stuff, the more I stress about it. Because then I'm like, well, now that my face is breaking out, like this is just something else I'm adding to my to-do list because I'm having to come up with all of these concoctions. And it's just a lot. And I... I can say too, when I get anxiety, I do like pick at my skin, which I know terrible. You're not supposed to do that, but it's just like my anxiety. (laughs) Yeah. When my anxiety builds, it's just like so many different factors. It's just a culmination of things, the traveling, new stressors, working different hours, and then just trying all these different products. So I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm gonna do something soon. I feel like I'm gonna just have to go through my uh, metamorphosis. Like I'm just in a cocoon stage right now. Oh my God, I feel you so much because I'm I'm there right now. (laughs) And it's just so crazy because you think like, okay, at least for me with my skincare routine, like I got it down to a science. I use this cleanser, Mm -hmm. this serum, boom, boom, boom. But now that's just not doing the job. And Again, I am extra. So I even thought about getting like the little Brita filter for the sink. So when I wash my face, the the water is filtered, but I'm like, Sydney, you know, you ain't got no damn money for that. So it's just a lot, but you know, I'm just stop being as vain as I typically am and just, you know, take it all in stride. It's not like I have literal, like, I don't know, like cystic acne or anything like that like it's not that intense it's just these annoying ass little pimples that keep popping up and I was in very very humid conditions I traveled to New Orleans and I was in Dallas recently so you know I'm already sweating I'm trying to look cute with my makeup and be outside but just (laughs) body and skin just not agreeing with it but Rennie please tell me what had you fed up or fucked up this past week I mean, kind of a little the same thing, like, well, the past week, past month, past weeks, uh, Mm. hormonal acne, Mm. been on my ass until I got, uh, what did I, what is this cleanser I got? I saw it on TikTok, Panoxyl, which is like 10% benzoyl peroxide. I started using Mm. that and it, it, I promise you makes so much of a difference. Like even just after one use, like. And I have been struggling because my hormones have been out of control. I don't know what's happening. Again, it's like second puberty. I'm a whole ass adult. I'm not supposed to have this. I'm not supposed to like have that plus mood swings. Like my PD, my, not PD, my PMDD, babe, on my ass constantly. I don't know which way is up most days. Like it's, there's mood swings and then there's PMDD. And it's just kind of like, how can I live? Like, you don't want me to function. On top of that, out here in LA, there's been June gloom for like the past few weeks. Luckily, the past couple of days, we've gotten some, but I was definitely over that shit. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to think, what else? 
Uh, I guess I'm just a little bit over people that do not know how to communicate uh, properly. Um, I'm not going to say no names, but please do not text message me one-way conversations. You Ooh. see I'm not responding. You need to adjust. Like, Ooh. don't be, like treating me like I'm on your news mailing list via text message. Like, ask how I'm doing. Like, you know, engage. But don't just keep, oh, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Like, come on now. Like, I, I didn't sign up for your newscast. So that's, that's where I'm at. But it, it's something I'm going to continue. It is, but you know what? There were two things that I was interested in, like hearing more about from you. Mm -hmm. You mentioned June Gloom in LA. I'm not familiar with June Gloom. So they have June Gloom and May Gray. That's when we just don't have sun. And this year was like unprecedented because it lasted much longer than it usually does. Like, I mean, global warming is real. Like, let's keep it all the way 100. And we hadn't had sun, honestly, since Holy's, probably since like April, because like Mm -hmm. May was just real fucking gray. And then finally, kind of rainy. And then finally the sun came out and it's been out and it's getting hot and I love it because I'm a Texas girl. I I moved to LA. I mean, not specifically for some, but with the expectation that Raphael Sadiq said in the song by Tony Tony Chong, it never rains in Southern California. And that was a motherfucking lie. But for the most part, it don't rain. And for the most part, it's pretty sunny. But this, this was fucking with my mood. It was fucking with my vitamin D levels. Like I couldn't take it. But now it's, the sun is out. It's out right now. I just like to go outside and just sit out there like, oof, like I, I can't. That's I, crazy. I, I did not know that was a thing in Cali. Like you said, you always associate yeah. California with sunshine, very like, not so much cool weather, but like that warm temperature. temperature. Yeah. yeah, of like 75 degrees. I can oh, go wow. outside in some linen, but you talk about overcast and gray skies, baby. Overcast so like, 60s, yeah. Mm, I don't like the sound of that, especially not paying California prices. I I need the sun to be out every day. Every day. Let me get my rent worth. Please. <laughs> Please. That's why well, I've never heard about that. But I'm going to definitely keep that in mind. June gloom. Interesting. And see, I'm in, I'm in New York. I'm in upstate New York, though. Uh, and is that like Albany? I only went to New York once and that was like a couple months ago. <laughs> yeah. So I'm up in that area. So okay. the only thing that we've experienced recently was like with the Canadian wildfires, how it's the good. smog was coming down. And I definitely thought I was tripping when I saw that. Like when I went outside, I'm like, why is there a smog? I saw the skies. I was like, this looks like something out of a movie scene or a video game it looked wild. it did it looked wild and the thing was I just kept thinking like why does it look like smog why does it look like smog but I was like maybe I'm like maybe it's like a mist or something that I'm not paying attention to like maybe it's actually instead of smog it's like fog but the sun was still out mm-hmm. when I looked it up and they started talking about the wildfires and I believe like 
even then they said about like 16,000 people from Canada had evacuated. Like it was that bad, like going into the night and the next day after I first saw it, the sky was orange. Like literally it looked like something had just imploded and the sun actually looked like this little fireball. Like, I don't know when you typically look at the sun, it's just like rays of light. But this girl, I felt like I could see the little fire around the sun i'm like oh yeah this freaking me something right something right (laughs) something ain't right i turned on my phone i had even taken a picture of it but the air quality was literally like 325 i saw that in my weather app i just scrolled and i saw like new york's air quality was i mean not to say la's air quality is ever good most days it's like dangerous for people with you know sensitivities and it's like well fuck um, but when I saw, I was like, I didn't even know the numbers get that high. Like that's what feels apocalyptic. Basically, yeah. Basically. And, and that's what it was. That's what it was given. Um, I'm like, damn, I had gotten rid of my mask, but, um, looks like no, you I'm like, keep okay, that thing on you. Yeah. Those particles are no joke. And I all, I also keep my mask because there's no way in hell I'm getting on an airplane ever again without a mask. People are nasty. <laughs> that is very true. And see, I have my mask for the airport. It was just like when I went outside thinking about the smog, your girl was not stocked up, but now yeah. they say no better, do better. So I shall. Um, <laughs> one other thing though, that you mentioned that I thought was interesting is those like one-way conversations yes I experienced that recently or I wouldn't even say recently a a while back a few months ago with a family member of mine where it felt that same exact way of it it wasn't like a check-in it wasn't oh hey how you doing let's talk let's connect it was always more of like what I could do for this person or Mm -hmm. what this person had going on in their life yeah and I was very confused. A lot of unloading, not <laughs> reciprocating. And also mine was a family member too. So I know it puts you in a sticky space because you don't necessarily know, depending on who the family member is, how to approach it appropriately so you don't offend them. Especially if they're like an older family member, which is the case with me. And it's like, I don't want to be disrespectful. Mm. But in the same vein, I would also like to be respected as an individual that mm-hmm. you know, could at least be afforded a check-in, a two-way check-in. Hey, how you doing? How's it out there in LA? Instead of like, you know, 100% everything I got going on. Me, 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 me. And just like unloading, treating you like you a, a dump truck for like their, I, I don't want to say bullshit, but that's the only thing it can be bullshit because you're like what does this have to do with me always honestly what what does it got to do with me please it never does it never does and like you said it just feels very one way non-reciprocal if you were to do the same thing to that person like oh hey I have x y and z going on or well with this particular family member if I talk about something that's going on with me they eventually and it takes seconds switch it around to being about them like second <laughs> it's a miracle this person is a gemini <laughs> but immediate like like oh okay we're talking about you again got it um 
don't know how to proceed here. You know what I mean? So I wish there was a way, and I talked about this in therapy yesterday. I asked my therapist, like, what's the best way to approach this without Mm -hmm. offending them? Because I've told them before, hey, um, it would be cool if you didn't send me that kind of stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> so much um, without any interaction or further engagement from me. And then they were just like, well, I'm just not going to send you that stuff anymore. And they were offended. And I guess in turn felt like communicating with me uh, because I was like articulating, hey, this is a boundary or at least at least make me feel that we are engaging and uh, and sharing yeah um, they took it as an offensive thing and want to kind of like shut off and I I don't want to I want to avoid that um mm-hmm. still haven't figured out like the best way to go about it mm-hmm. um because this person can be um sometimes a little so con- so self-concerned that they don't necessarily see the mm-hmm. uh problem that is being brought to them or they always take the problem as like an offense but that's an aside <laughs> before the person hear this podcast I'm like so you're talking about me I'm a Gemini <laughs> yes I'm talking no. about you please stop <laughs> like my god but no I I get exactly what you mean and it's it's great that you still can kind of even understand you know what they're going to like basically misinterpret what you're going to say every single time so at the end of the day it's like how much of this is really of any value for me to actually really say anything because I feel like people like that at least in my experiences they have a pattern yeah they have a pattern even when you call them out on it then it's like oh well what was me oh you oh (laughs) and it's like yeah I don't want to hear this but I can say with age, I have even gotten better about not so much looking past it, but just even how much do I really want to engage with it? Because at the end of the day, I'm moving on with my life. I'm progressing, doing other things. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it's it's a balancing act. I can say that for sure. It's a balancing act. 100%. But you guys, moving on to the main segment of the show, we have Make It Make Sense. So as I mentioned, I am super excited to have Rennie on with me, um, especially considering the fact that, you know, like her talent knows no bounds. Like my girl is in acting, writing, visual arts. And I feel like she brings a unique perspective to the table. And I am excited to delve deeper into her latest book, Not Everyone is Going to Like You, Thoughts from a former people pleaser. I meant to include that portion of the book title when I first mentioned it, but it is a graphic collection of many essays that takes us on a journey through mental health, work, sex and dating, and the complexities of family and friendships. Um, I love how Rennie is able to kind of go about sharing her own personal experiences. Um, As she mentioned before, she even delves deeper into being from Texas and her move to the vibrant city of Los Angeles um, and provides a lot of relatable anecdotes um, just in terms of self-validation and looking past the need for external approval, which I feel like is something that 
so many people are constantly fighting against, especially when it comes to, you know, the realm of content creation, because there are so many people online fighting to have a voice. Then there are those people that are just constantly spewing bullshit. So it takes a lot sometimes to just put what you do out there. But at the same time, be mindful of what audience you're tapping into and is this really authentic to you so I feel like this will make for an engaging conversation that hopefully leaves my listeners you know inspired and empowered because at the end of the day like that's all we can do as black folks like all we can do is continue to inspire and empower one another so Rainy again congratulations on the release of your book um I'm just curious, what inspired you to write this collection of many essays and how how does it reflect on your personal journey? Um, so listening to Sounds of Blackness. <laughs> as long as you can. Oh my God, but this that's honestly like one of like the best songs. I'm just gonna put that out there. Um but you, what you just said just reminded me of Sounds of Blackness. And I'm like, yeah, that really is what inspired me. But honestly, um, I would say just my own personal experiences. And it's kind of the core of why I create the work that I do. Mm-hmm. Because I always was looking for a space for my voice to be heard. Mm-hmm. Instead of for opportunities for people to bestow upon me I just had to kind of craft that for myself like Mm -hmm. yeah like I'm always what is it kind of looking for my seat at the table but instead of like waiting for people to offer to me it's like damn I'm about to pull up a chair like I can't I that's one of the biggest life lessons that I learned it's like I just can't wait on other people to like wait to see how great I am or see what kind of talent that I have like I just have to like push myself out there and put whatever I'm creating out there. And if they fucking with me, they fucking with me. If they not, then okay. But like, I I find the people who do connect with the work and Mm -hmm. who do like uh, find that my words resonate with them and how they're feeling and what they're going through. And that's the part I think that I find to be the most impactful. Um, Mm -hmm. Really why started doing what I do (laughs) doing what I do (laughs) and I mean you've been doing what you do for a while and you've built up a community I feel like of all of these people that relate to your work because I know me personally I love how you go about showcasing your graphics in like the um is it black exploitation yeah is that the word yeah 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 so for any listeners that don't know think about like your Pam Greer um Foxy Brown Shaft um comes to Harlem yes like and I grew up honestly yes recently yeah and I grew up honestly loving those movies I had no business watching them as a kid but my mom is a child of the (laughs) 70s so she always had those DVDs around and like to me they always highlighted like how beautiful black people were and even though we had our own problems you know Pam Greer out here fighting all the pimps and hoes and everything (laughs) else it still was like impactful to see as a kid because you see this beautiful black woman on the screen with her big ass afro 
saying like, you know, bow down Whitey and all of this other stuff. So it was, it was amazing to see. And I love how you kind of took that inspiration and made it your own. I don't feel like you've copy and pasted anything whatsoever, but you like made that your own. Yeah. I mean, black exploitation as a film genre for me mm-hmm. was a lot like what you said, like for me, it just represented black people being in the space where we have the autonomy to craft our own stories. And mm-hmm. that was like the first time in history that like black people were able to really push forward, like the narratives that we wanted to see the narratives that articulated what life was like for us, like throughout like the U S during that mm-hmm. time. And it didn't, have Black people like predominantly just used as like the antagonists. It had us as the protagonists. It had our stories being at the forefront. And for me, Black exploitation, again, also just conveyed how brilliant the minds of Black folks were, are, <laughs> and uh, how amazingly like talented and beautiful that we are. And like, that's the kind of like media representation that I found to be like really impactful and why I like to use a lot of black exploitation references and themes in my work and again I think you you can you convey it in the perfect way because you really do make it your own and especially on platforms like Instagram where you do see a lot of graphic design and it's a very visual um social channel so even then I feel like when I go across your channel I'm like the words and the messages pop out at me but at the same time I'm still seeing this like photograph of Diana Ross or like um all of these other beautiful black models from the 70s and I'm just like you know what (laughs) she gets it like she gets it for me and I feel like I've always been one of those people as well that like you said I've always been proud of my blackness Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to go about promoting it in a certain way. And I feel like black exploitation was those like initial stages that you see, especially in like film representation of black women and black men. I think that, well, I'll say like one thing that I find to be like mm-hmm. pretty like significant for me when it comes to like this specific like representation and especially like in like my household again like not well not again but like my parents also were like children of the 70s and the school I've spoken about this before but the school that I went to was all black elementary school it was a public school but like everyone on staff was black pretty much I think we had maybe one two people that weren't two three Mm -hmm. um and the culture was like preserved really really well like in that space and so that's how we got exposed to things like black exploitation films I mean obviously not the R-rated ones (laughs) like we were down there just go like we wasn't in that seeing Pambria titties like we were watching movies that were (laughs) G-rated okay uh, like a hero ain't nothing but a sandwich like things that like children obviously could watch I'm not trying to get mm-hmm. school mm-hmm. in, in trouble um, <laughs> and it was just again just like really impact- impactful to see someone that looks like you mm-hmm. especially in a space where a lot of media like don't necessarily see that um, and in a space where you are considered 
to be like the hero of your own story in your own community. Like that's why it was so, it's so important. And it's so important for me to always utilize like forms of media that highlight that. Mm -hmm. Like I, representation, I don't want to belabor the point, (laughs) but in my work, like it's always been important for people to like know, like I am a black artist first and foremost, you know, I never want my work to be, or my identity to be um, separated or divided from like the work that I produce. And I want people that are coming up behind me to also feel comfortable in creating with their identity in tandem, instead of feeling like you have to put that to the side Mm -hmm. in in order to be accepted, like, or in order for like the art world or whatever creative space to not overlook you or consider your work to be, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I I hate like militant or, or whatever. Like you can incorporate your background, your identity, and that's what makes your work your work that's what makes it you and I mean I just so I just hope everybody can kind of like get on board with that um because I know that is a struggle for like a lot of artists especially a lot of marginalized folks like mm-hmm. there is a tendency to like we want to like dilute so our work can be palatable to like mainstream or whatever but it's like yo you don't take this as it is or we ain't really got too much to talk about right now <laughs> And I can say too, one thing that I feel like you make unique is you still like incorporate humor into Mm -hmm. your graphic designs, even though the messaging I feel like is very serious, it's still very humorous and how it comes across. Like it has a playful tone to it. Like even I remember reposting your uh, Black History Month um, graphic where it was like, happy Black History Month, addressing your anti-Blackness would be nice, but it's like, hey. That's the thing. Yeah. Don't tell me happy Black History Month and then still be like discriminating behind my back. Still be like, using all the microaggressions in the office. Like that I, is still a huge thing. And I feel like you see so many graphics where it's like, it, it addresses the topic head on, but it doesn't yeah. take in that sense of adding like a lighthearted, playful. Yeah. I mean, that's part partly because like my background is, I'm also a comedian. Like mm-hmm. I'm and like I've done improv I've done sketch comedy um and one of the things that I like you know in terms of like writing is like always infusing like those experiences mm-hmm. um to like what I'm trying to say it doesn't have to necessarily be serious all the time I mean yeah I can get serious when needed but honestly I just like shooting the shit and mm-hmm. the same way I talk around like my friends and my family about things like we're not always just like fucking, who, who, what's, the, what's the example I'm trying to think of? Like, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to always give you like a Angela Davis. Matter of fact, I'm probably not the most Angela Davis-y person in the world. But when it comes down to it, like, I know how to get my point across, be it in a serious manner or be it like in comedy. But I just choose comedy because it's just like, it's how like, I feel like also that's we as like Black people, like, you know how like on Twitter, they were like, Black people are not serious about anything. <laughs> we not but why do we have to be it'll be serious things and we'll find like the humor in it and I just think that's something that I have always had and I think that's just like a maybe it is a black thing but I think we find humor in things we find humor in the struggle like that's just how we've adapted and that's how I find the most comfort in 
articulating a lot of themes and stuff, work and otherwise. Because I feel like there's enough serious shit out there. <laughs> it is. There is so much serious shit. And like, I feel like adding humor to it just leaves room for people to make it more like, I wouldn't say approachable, mm-hmm. but like wanting to join in on the conversation and wanting to incorporate talk about their own experiences because you come in from it from like a well it has to be this it has to be that I feel like that takes away from it and again as black people that's basically how we deal with our drama and in a way it's work for us I feel like that's the only thing that's kept us somewhat ahead is that we can crack a joke here and there we can find some humor in it and move past it because what has happened has happened we've already gone through this and I mean I'm Mm -hmm. sure there will be more struggles in the future but it's like we 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 ain't gonna worry about that we ain't gonna worry about that but we gotta find a way to laugh about it you have to and I feel like that's even just with life in general not even just as a black person like when you just gotta stick up your ass all the time it's you making it harder for yourself. <laughs> you making it harder for yourself. Like I have to find those times where I have to bring like a lightheartedness to it. Even when I can say like, I had to do some interviewing for some job prospects recently. Like I even had to crack a joke then. Like I'm tired as hell y'all. Like I literally almost went into a coma while I was taking a nap. <laughs> and I told the interviewers this, they're like, you know what? Me too me too and I was like see now we now we got a personable connection you might walk out of here like you know what I wonder how that girl is doing that said she almost fell into a coma before oh she God. got here let's call her up <laughs> literally immediately literally. um so one other thing that like just touching on like I feel like in your book you discuss your like experiences being because you as a multidisciplinary artist you do a lot of things. You are the owner of an online shop as well with the creation of your graphics. Um, and then you've also even touched on in your book, navigating the challenges of the dating app cycle and anxiety oh, and yeah. depression. Like I would feel like how have these experiences shaped your understanding of self-validation, as you mentioned in the book and what advice can you even give people going through similar situations? I definitely feel, especially dealing with like dating out here in LA mm-hmm. as a black <laughs> woman, um, it definitely, for me, was an experience in which I had to find and validate myself. I definitely could not sit and like wait for other people to do that for me because I would be ass out down bad um and honestly I completely got off dating apps like all together like a few years ago mm-hmm. it was just it felt empty it felt vapid and mm-hmm. I find that meeting people I guess organically in person um sometimes works out a little bit better but anyway that's that's along the side the question more so was about like finding like that self-validation and Mm-hmm. I think through those things and those experiences, I just had to do a, as corny as it may sound, like a lot of reflection. And one of the biggest things that came out of it was at the end of the day, I'm the only person that has to really live with the decisions that I'm making for myself. I mean, barring decisions that affect other people, but I don't have no kids. I only got plants and, and uh, 
yeah, just plants and they're barely hanging on. But at the end of the day, I'm the person that has to live with the decisions that I make. And acknowledging that and, and finding comfort in making decisions that advocate for myself mm-hmm. and don't allow me to fall into like the people pleasing trap of like, oh, well, this, if I, if I'm not nice, or if I like truly articulate how this person made me feel about what I'm dealing with, with anxiety or depression or how they made me feel if they like said something that I felt was insensitive. Mm -hmm. um, I have to get really comfortable with knowing that I can articulate those things without feeling like I'm the bad guy. I can advocate for myself without feeling like I'm the bad guy. And that was really validating for me because at the end of the day, I have not, this is going to sound like a strong statement, but I have never once made a decision to speak up for myself and regretted it like ever since 110 percent but I do regret when I don't speak up for myself every single time every single time because then it becomes oh I should have said that oh I shouldn't have just like smiled and like pretended that I wanted to see them after they disrespected me Mm -hmm. but I'll tell you a story there was somebody that I was seeing and they wildly disrespectful towards the end of our courtship mm-hmm. and I remember like we were out in LA at a bar and they came up to me and hugged me um and like hey Rennie so good to see you I looked them dead in the spectacles that they saw and I said I wish I could say the same and then I turned around and baby when I tell you I felt so much power in that moment and I I don't regret it to this day <laughs> to this day <laughs> like yeah. So it's those moments where I felt like, you know, and then I had a neighbor that once told me um, when I was contemplating speaking up for myself, she said, with the future, you regret it. And with the you right now, regret it. And I said, no. And she said, well, that's all you need to know. Go ahead and do it. And I was, whenever I need to advocate for myself or like how I feel or in any realm, like I asked, like, how would I feel in the future? Would I feel like uh, what I feel regret for not speaking up and like letting this person know or holding this person accountable mm-hmm. because accountability also, uh, although it's, it's very free, it's a free thing. People often don't take it and people aren't uh, necessarily encouraged to take accountability because of the idea that we need to be, you know, turn the other cheek and be like, you know, the nice girl or the nice person and everything like that, instead of like allowing someone to know like how their actions like affect you and hold them accountable for those actions. So that's basically been my practice (laughs) moving forward um, in terms of like finding ways to like consistently validate myself. um, And I feel like that was a powerful story of even how you would about like validating yourself when the person spoke to you and you just said, hmm, I wish I can say the same. Cause I mean, you truly felt that and you thought that, and it wasn't to be like persnickety or to be mean or to be rude, but it's an honest reaction when people have done things a certain way and they get real nasty with you and you just kind of, like you say, brush it off, push past it. So 
more power to you. That's how you're supposed to handle it. I'm writing that in my book. Like, I wish I could say the same. I got a few people I can say that for the next time. I Please do. And I, I promise you, you will feel so much better. I felt so much better just like speaking to people, speaking to people in the way that I felt in that moment versus trying to sugarcoat it. Like, baby, I'm not candy. We ain't got to candy coat anything. Like, I'm gonna keep it 100 with you and keeping it and being authentic to like how I feel has never steered me wrong. And I think too, with self-validation, as you mentioned before, there is a level of vulnerability yeah. that comes with it. Like you have to look to see like, okay, how was I looking to these external sources to validate mm-hmm. me versus just pouring into myself and trying mm-hmm. to improve and trying to do better. And even realizing like, I feel like with self-validation, not to compare yourself to others, somebody else's progress may look very different from your own, whether that be their career progression, their relationships, the amount of money they have, like even that aspect of, I feel like comparison, especially in the digital age where, you know, validation from others plays a significant role. Like you really have to stay true to yourself and your own values to find that sense of validation. Like, well, you know what? I could, I could have X, Y, and Z and pop these tags, pop these bottles. But at the end of the day, is my credit score really supporting that? No. So I'm not, I'm going to stay away from it. I'm going to be real to myself and I'm going to validate myself by still going out and doing what I can do and enjoying my level of income and being realistic about it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, your book, you know, takes us from your hometown in Houston, Texas to Los Angeles. And those are very two different environments. How would you have, how would you say they also influence your personal growth? And some of the themes you um, explore in your book. Um, I would say like Houston, and I love, I love where I'm from. Houston, Texas, baby, third ward, Texas all day. Um, I would say like the, the transition from Houston to LA, mm-hmm. they're both big cities. And I find Houston to be incredibly diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, even almost say like, I think from what I remember, statistically, it was like one of the most, if not the number one, like most of our city in like the entire U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I felt like coming to L.A. really, I didn't really uh, have too much of like a difficult transition because it was a big city to a big city. Mm -hmm. I had a difficult transition because I'm a Southern girl and I like my food a certain way and I couldn't get that out here. (laughs) But I, I'm, I'm really thinking, cause I'm, I think, I think I had a lot more of an ease of the transition than like most folks, just because I was going from big city to big city. But I, what I do know, because like, you know, you're going from being a kid in Houston to being like an adult in LA, um, understanding like how to forge friendships. And that's something mm. I, I see talk about a lot like forging like new friendships and relationships as adults especially in the town that is you know known for people really not necessarily seeking out like 
the deepest relationships, those relationships still can surface be surface level more yeah. of like you hear about people going to LA. Cause I mean, when you think about LA, you're thinking about the entertainment industry yeah, the entertainment industry is out here These and are, people yeah. are making those connections to make it money is. and more so like, well, what value does this person bring to my life? Not so Every much, time. not so much on an intimate level, but like, they finna give me a job. They finna put me mm-hmm. in touch with this casting director. So yeah. Even touch more into that. I, I like how you brought that up. Yeah, that honestly was a big lesson that I learned in that was divesting my idea of what my value was, my personal value was mm-hmm. to the relationships that I have with other people. Because mm-hmm. if I felt that I brought some sort of value to a person, I always felt like, oh, well, they are not going to throw me away because I'm doing all these things for them. And people... Not everybody in LA is like this. I'm going to clarify. But yeah. a lot of people that are seeking certain relationships that benefit themselves, either career-wise career or, or mm-hmm. social status-wise, the need to seek to get whatever you can out of a person, mm-hmm. very strong. And you have to navigate that. If you're a people pleaser, like mm-hmm. I was struggling not to be, mm-hmm. um, you have to navigate that in a way to where you're detaching yourself from how they move with you, how they care or handle you Mm -hmm. um, does not equate who you are as a person, how valuable you are as a person. And that's the biggest lesson that I had to learn, I think, is for in like, in terms of like forging like these like adult friendships Mm -hmm. um, and relationships is, how I could do that while also maintaining that my value isn't tethered to what I can do for other people. Mm-hmm. I know I can, you know, show up for people and have engaging relationships. I know I can do those things, but I also have to allow myself the space and the vulnerability to accept those things as well, which can be hard when you got a bit of issues. Um, <laughs> so that's, really like the the big lesson that I had to learn and had to get really comfortable with being uncomfortable mm-hmm. um, because vulnerability at the end of the day is a very uncomfortable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, I mean, it is for me, but I know it also is for a lot of folks. It's scary it because is. you don't know how much you can show to someone without feeling like, oh, they're going to, they're going to run. They're going to get scared. I'm going to mm-hmm. scare them off. They're not going to want to be around me because I showed too much. I showed who, them who I really am. Mm-hmm. And the fact of the matter is, if you're vulnerable with the people that are supposed to be in your life, that you're supposed to be a community with, like, they're going to stick around. They're going to fuck with you. That's very true. And I, I, I can definitely say with people pleasing, it is tapping into, like you said, that fear of okay if I don't do x y and z for this person then they're gonna abandon me or they won't like me therefore Mm -hmm. I have to like show up and show out when it's like hey you are clearly overextending yourself you're giving a lot more to the relationship than this other person is doing and it's not to say that you know sometimes within friendships intimate relationships even familiar relationships you won't have to kind of go the extra mile because life happens people have jobs people have kids people have other issues like it's a lot of other things going on but if that is 
a constant pattern that you're noticing, it's not a good thing. Um, I can honestly say for me, just trying to think with even learning about people pleasing, I can definitely agree with becoming an adult, really Mm -hmm. having to be open and honest about like, this is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And then too, I always try to tell people like, ask me how I want to be supported. Your ways of showing up for me may look different than what I'm actually expecting. Cause I have had people told me, well, I did X, Y, and Z for you. I never asked you to do that. But also it's not sure the way that you need to be supported or your love language. If we go that route, like I'm very intentional about that now because Mm -hmm. my specific way that I would always show that I care about someone, it's like, I'm a big gift giver. Mm -hmm. Um, But if someone feels that they need support or they need to be shown care through like words of affirmation or physical touch Mm -hmm. or time, not that these are things that I am against or don't Mm -hmm. provide. It's just what naturally comes to me is it's kind of like what I was like socialized and conditioned to do Mm -hmm. coming up. And it's like, oh, we would provide, like take the time and like really listen and like, oh, this is something that like this person needs and we'll get it or like an act of service. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I've, I've just learned like a lot of times, even though I, oops, not me hit my hand on <laughs> even though I know what I'm doing is showing that I really care about this person. If that's not the way that person feels supported most or feels cared for most, mm-hmm. like lines get crossed. And so one of the things that I practice with like friends, partners is asking how I can show up for you um instead of getting upset when they're like oh wait you didn't like when I like did this thing or like you know I took the time to make make this like um and they may and it's not their fault they may not be aware um how important or how much um it meant to me that I was like trying to communicate like I I care I'm doing this because I care um but they also are entitled to you know their own needs and their own way that they need to be supported and not cared for so I try to make sure that I'm like having a dialogue and asking instead of just yeah you're you know what I mean it's like you're allowing the space for that conversation to happen up front whether on the um as opposed to it happening on the back end when you're like hey I noticed like there's been this disconnect or I bought you x y and z but you just didn't seem to like it where the person is like yeah you you got about that and I can honestly say it's so crazy you mentioned that because like one of my best friends is like that I'm big on gifts and I love giving gifts, but her biggest like thing is spending quality time together. She really don't care about no gift. She is a person who, as long as you show up for her in those moments where she really needs you, or you want to go out, have a good time, go on vacation together. Like that's her sort of thing. Having those memories and those experiences. Whereas for me, since I like gifts, she always shows up and shows out when it's time for a birthday or Christmas. And it'll be something that either like 
I kind of mentioned in passing like, oh, hey, I, I love so-and-so-and-so, this musician, and they just dropped this vinyl or something. Or yeah. it could even be me on a more serious note being like, girl, my house cold as hell. And then she'll give me a heater or something like that. Like it's it's little things, but like you said, you have to make room for that. And if you really do care about somebody, then you you make the space for it. You learn that about them. Yeah. I think that's that's a lesson in of itself. Just like taking the time to like, I mean, maybe it's more of a lesson for me because I'm an Aries. <laughs> um, but like you gotta take the time to like let people tell you and not just assume um what you think is best. Because mm-hmm. I did a lot of that coming up. I am the first of my siblings and Ooh, the oldest child. The oldest daughter, the first one. Like I definitely been like for the for the <laughs> For the, for the good of the family, you know, I make the decision. Like, I know this, you know, I know we're supposed to be doing this. Or I know you need this and you need to be doing X, Y, Z, one, two, three. But it's like, nah, let's, let's tap in and see like what they need. Mm-hmm. You know, like they are their own autonomous being. They have their own needs and desires. They don't hurt people. So mm-hmm. it's okay to like take a step back and like ask instead of like assuming that you know best, even if you do know best sometimes because sometimes <laughs> just saying uh, saying maybe things look a little bit easier (laughs) but I like how you even mentioned being the oldest daughter because that's a that's definitely a thing like when you talk to people who are the eldest sibling like they really do take on that responsibility of picking up on not only the emotions of their siblings but their parents and kind of balancing the two and still stepping up and kind of being that parental unit for the younger siblings so y'all are juggling a lot you know little old me I'm an only child so I I have not I have not had to do that but I can say just having friends who are eldest siblings eldest daughters I feel like girl you taking on a lot it's okay it's okay you You do not have to raise them you do not have to or even with some of my friends when they want to kind of do stuff for me I'm definitely like more on the hyper independent side and I, that's probably from being an only child of being like I don't need any help and I feel like at some point in time I definitely be needing help but do do I want to mm-hmm. say that absolutely no. not because that no. will require me to go back to what you said tap into the vulnerability of asking mm-hmm. for help and who want to do that that's not fashionable <laughs> yeah I know you have to do it it's not you cute. Do, you gotta ask for help. You be like, that's not cute. Because to me, I'm like, mm, if I gotta, and then I'm always like, if I gotta ask more than once, I feel like I'm begging. Get out of my head. Get out of my head. I don't want, don't make me tell begging? you twice. Is this begging? Don't make me tell you twice. Now you got me out here looking like I'm panhandling. Like, come on now. It's a journey. It's definitely a journey. Those are two things. It's like you you just have to balance it. You have to balance it. That's what it all comes down to. And I was mm-hmm. going to ask you as well, can you think to any like experiences or moments that didn't make it into your book that kind of like, you know, helped you pull back on people pleasing, like any specific experiences? Things that didn't make it into a book, because I know there was a lot. Um... <laughs> I'm trying to, well, a lot of stuff that didn't make it into the book, honestly, was because I was trying to protect some folks uh, by not dragging them 
but uh honestly and this is a I think these are more clearer developments mm-hmm. it really just comes down to um relationships not just like dating but intimate and platonic ones and I wish I had like more space to like delve into like how we should show up for our friends um and how we should always make an effort to treat those relationships at the same level of importance as you do romantic ones because those are and how there should be a focus for community with our friends like the people that are around us in old age don't necessarily always have to be like, oh, you had kids, your kids are going to take care of you. Like, no, your community can also be your chosen family. And some people don't want to have kids. Mm-hmm. So the opportunity to create a community where you are cared for by your, like your friends, maybe your friends, kids or cousins, relatives, whatever, like I want to create more emphasis on like fostering like the strength and like those relationships that fall outside the societal norms of romantic relationships and how we treat our friends and how we should make sure that we're putting just as much effort into maintaining those relationships as we do our um, romantic ones. And maybe de-escalating the romantic ones for a little bit because I feel like there's way too much priority on romantic relationships. They don't even be hitting like that sometimes. They don't. They don't. They don't. They definitely and I, don't. Yeah, I really wish I had more space. Maybe another book. That's <laughs> hey. about, about like, you know, because this is also something I've been practicing with my friends. And it's just like me being vulnerable enough to say like, hey, hey I would really like it if you could uh, support me here. Mm-hmm. Really like for us to do this or have like a routine or do this. Like mm-hmm. I've been researching a lot about bettering like my friendships and one of the things that came up was making sure that we have friendship rituals so having friendship anniversaries or like doing friend trips together like you don't reserve those things just for like your romantic relationship because at the end of the day whether your romantic relationship is here or not your friendship gonna be there because it is not dependent upon whether or not you were sick of somebody's draws so that's really why I just really move forward. Um, and if I had to put something in the book that was left out, I would definitely focus a lot more on like prioritizing, prioritizing friendships. Yeah. Well, I love that. I feel like I, I'm going to be waiting. When that come out, I'm going to be waiting on that one too. Cause you I'm might like, wait a little bit, child. <laughs> I like that though, because that's definitely a thing as well when you think about just overall well-being and having a sense of community like I feel like people closely they just I feel like people hold a lot more space for romantic relationships versus friendships where a lot of times I feel like people I can definitely say from my own experiences I feel like people use romantic relationships to fill voids whereas friendships it's not as easy to do that. So you have to be a little bit more honest and truthful about, like you said, how can I show up to be a better friend? How can I have them support me? And how can I look to build stronger connections and have that foundation of like, this is somebody I can rely on or call Mm -hmm. just in my time of need. And then also when you bring up people look at romantic relationships to fill a void, like that's the other issue. Like 
romantic relationships aren't supposed to mean completion. They're complementary, not completion. And let the church say amen. I'm sorry to cut you off, but let the church say amen. We got to shift that narrative. I get so sick of the same tired as Twitter topics. Oh, uh, y'all go out. I don't go home with my man. As soon as my man calls, I'm leaving. Like what? Like, no. Like if you having a girl's night, have a girl's night. Why is you Literally. your man call you because he finished playing NBA 2K? Literally, his his crusty his crusty ass go be at the crib when you get back. He go be there, girl. He ain't got nowhere else to go. He probably ain't even got no friends. You his only friend. He go be there, hang out with us, have a good time. Quit talking about his ass. One hundred and ten percent. One hundred and ten percent. Not a pastime for things for you to do in between your relationship. You get into a relationship, or if your man is busy. Or your partners like on tour out of town, like your friends are not there for that. You should be making time for your friends, regardless. Regardless, leave the motherfucker at home and be like, "I'm going out with my girls tonight. I'm going out with my bitches, and we're we're about to have fun." I see. And so, I honestly, say for myself, I always like when the partners I do date have strong male friendships and male bonds because two. If we just sitting up here looking at each other all day, what are we going to have to talk about? And your your partner should not be your support system. Your own support system. Like, baby, I have therapists, a therapist for that. I have friends for that. I have families for that. Like, it's, it should not just be you and them. It just shouldn't. Like, that's 100% the truth. And if it is, like, baby, that's codependency. And maybe you can work on that somewhere else. But over here over here like no like healthy strong relationships require space and they require support outside of those relationships as well very true I get it <laughs> I hope people get it it's, it's I think it's it's taken a little bit longer than I would like but I feel like we're slowly edging that way but it's still a conversation that men and women have to be open to having and like you said being honest about their own codependencies and their own Mm -hmm. feeling of I have to be in a relationship to be complete like yeah life moves on with or without these people like they are not the end all be all it should be you at the end of the day I'm sorry with your life it should be you, you, the sun, moon, all of that. It should be revolving around you, not them. And once people get that, they'll find so much more fulfillment. I find so much more fulfillment in pouring into my friendships than I do seeking out like a romantic relationship to fulfill me. Like if that comes, great. Okay, I'll navigate that accordingly. If not, okay, great. I'll navigate that accordingly. Cause I still have fucking friends. I still got <laughs> I'm not lacking anything. Yes, yes. If somebody wants to present me with a relationship. I'm not accepting because I'm lacking it. I'm accepting it because it complements the space that I'm in and it makes me feel safe and it adds to whatever else I got going on and it makes shit easier. Not because I need it. You know what? That is a word. Please, like, 
I know you mentioned wanting to get into, you know, possibly publishing a book around the decentralizing romantic relationships and focusing more on friendships. But before mm-hmm. we move into the final segment of the show, do you have any future endeavors that we can expect from you? You know, are there any, is there anything that you're just eager to explore in your future work that you want to share with my listeners? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I'm thinking about future endeavors. Maybe the writers in Hollywood are on strike. Um, so the future endeavors are like kind of old until like they run the writers their backs. Okay. Um, rightfully so. And um, I'm trying to think like, I mean, that's like, cause also like working in like film and TV, that's a big part of what I do outside of like writing and, and like art. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other thing that I'm, just like working on is getting back to my own creative process. I don't have like much else to like promote outside of like my book and stuff like that, but like getting back to my own creative process and applying like what I've learned and seeing like how that's going to show up for me moving forward. Oh my God, if there's something I was supposed to promote and I forgot, I have to blame my ADHD because um, I am screaming. No, I was just curious. I was just curious. You know, I'm gonna plug everything in for your socials and for the book on the description of the episode. So listeners do not fret. I just want to ask, because you know, I love, I love hearing about what plans people got. I'm definitely- a I mean, y'all can always watch me on on the TV. <laughs> what's what's uh... The uh, last two episodes of season two of Grand Crew, uh, your girl is a knots. I play the character Jordan. Um, so if y'all want to watch that, please do. Um, I'm trying to think, what what else? What else? <laughs> I don't know. I'll be doing so much. And I'm like, what else am I supposed to be? It's like? okay, girl. We go include it all in the description of this episode. But moving <laughs> on to the last segment of this show, we have a You Are Drove. So <laughs> for my non-St. Louisans, um, Drove is just basically like an acronym for thinking something was going to work out in your favor. And it doesn't like you know how everybody was like 2020 vision bitch I'm winning and then COVID happened that would be us all being drove um so this week's news segment that I pulled from is you know it's everywhere we can't get away from it but we are going to talk about how some recent expeditionists have gotten the full Titanic experience um so again I'm sure everybody has seen the news. If you haven't, please open up an app, um, go to USA Today, go to New York Times, it's everywhere. But US and Canadian rescue teams continue to search for the missing Titan submersive and the five people aboard in the North Atlantic that took off Sunday to view the Titanic Titanic wreckage. Um. The ship supporting the watercraft lost contact with it about an hour and 45 minutes later, um, and it is owned by a Washington-based sea expedition company called Ocean Gate Expeditions, and they own the vessel, and they basically focus on these tours of taking these people out into the middle of the North Atlantic Sea and, well, ocean, and 
exploring the Titanic uh, wreckage. Um, the last time I checked on this news story, they had about 96 hours left of oxygen and fuel. Yeah, it's, it's definitely probably lower as yeah. I'm reading this. I need to check up on it. Um, crazy enough, tickets for just one person start at um $250,000. So yes, $250,000 for you to be in this submersive like little I don't know it looked like a little bullet the shape <laughs> of it like a little bitty bullet cuz like it's not a submarine technically No, it's not a submarine. Yeah, I kept thinking like oh is this a submarine but no, it's not that large at they all. I'm sorry, what you say? It was the size of like a passenger van, but honestly, it couldn't have been because they can only sit inside of their crisscross applesauce and they have to sit that way 10 hours, 10 hours. So it's not that big. I say it's, it's a Tonka truck. It, it's not that big at all. And, and even the crazier thing is the fact that like it carries, the larger ship carries the sub um submersible out to the site which already takes two days then it drops it down into the water for about two or three hours and it typically stays there for three hours um I believe this some of this information I got from like the USA Today podcast when they were talking about it so it takes a, a good while like it's not yeah. just a there and back sort of expedition um also the crazy thing is it is controlled by a small joystick like remote and since the larger ship took it out there there has been no like sort of communication because again there there are no communication systems on board the Mm -hmm. submersible um they typically have to communicate up above via text um which I don't know that again this none of this sounds appealing to me like whatsoever um and then another crazy thing um the company is not saying much about what's happening nor have they been responding to media interview requests and they've even reached out to people who've done the expedition before to not respond to media um yes like Yes, it, there have been no interviews with people like, oh, I went on the expedition this time or this was my experience. Like they are reaching out to those past customers and telling them not to share with the media. I have no clue what the secrecy around it is, because if anything, I feel like that would maybe help with their credibility. Like, oh, yeah, I did it. I'm alive. I'm well. There weren't any hiccups, but child they they taking it on another track um as i mentioned before it's five people on board um this includes a billionaire father and son duo a wealthy explorer and a diver with decades of experience exploring the titanic who are among the five people on board and even crazier which I found out just recently, the founder and CEO of the vessel's U.S.-based operating company, OceanGate, is also on board. Yeah, the CEO at that. Yes. Like, what? 
Honestly, ah, I mean, I can't help but to think $250,000 is a lot of money. It can get rid of my student loans immediately. Um, <laughs> immediately. Um, if they just want to, you know, throw 250K away, please. Um, That's the thought on everyone's mind. Why on earth? Would you pay $250,000 to see ship wreckage? Like, we know what happened to the Titanic. There have been movies, Mm -hmm. documentaries. Like, what on earth would make you think, I need to see this in person? And technically, they can't even see it in person. They can't get out because there are no windows. Like, they're having... Yeah, like when they even show the inside of it, it's technically like a computer, yeah. like a monitor where there's a smaller camera on the outside that allows them to see. So I'm still trying to figure out. You could just be it. on the deck of the ship and watch that. Like, that's the thing. Like you could send, if you're going to use a submersible, you can use a unmanned submersible mm-hmm. and watch from the deck of the ship above, mm-hmm. the, I mean, above the water. Like, it doesn't make sense to get in there. You can't get out of the submersible. You can't touch anything because the submersible will be crushed by the water pressure if you try to, like, open it. Like, well, they can't open it because of water pressure. Either way, it's like they can't get out and explore the wreckage. The submersible isn't small enough to fit and go through the wreckage. My thought is if we cannot somehow lift the Titanic to the surface, which we obviously cannot. I don't think there's technology for that. And I feel like it's really expensive. And I don't, it, at this point, it's just a, a rest in place. Leave it alone. Leave it alone. What else is there to see that you didn't see in the documentaries? There are documentaries of unmanned submersibles going through there. It's, I'm sorry, it's no different than like actually being down there. Did you just want to feel the pressure? Someone said that they could have tricked them I don't know who that was. They're like, you could have literally tricked them into thinking that they were at the site of the Titanic and just like literally play the documentary or maybe like video from a previous expedition. Like, I don't even know if they- they get 250K away. I like, have I no idea. That's a great, I feel like that is a great, way they could have went about it but I have no idea what they even thought would come about this after offering this experience because again there I believe it's like 12,000 feet 13 I believe well the, the Titanic I think is like 12 something but they went even further like something Jesus. like 13,000 um, why do I need to be that far in I, the ocean I don't, baby, I don't need to be in the ocean. I don't need to be on a cruise. The Tom Joyner cruise, baby, I don't need to be on that. I'm not going to hold you. I love a good cruise. I'm I'm in my auntie era. I love a good cruise. <laughs> auntie um, Just because cruises low-key, they're a little, they're a little cost-efficient when you think about how much you spend on lodging and food and excursions. Like, they, they're it's, a little cost-efficient. You've been on a boat for so long. My daddy and him love going on cruises. I'm sorry, I'm with, I'm with, I'm with daddy and them to have them call me. If they see, if they go on a Tom, Tom Joyner, have them call me. I might join. <laughs> I might do it. 
something about just like just floating like mm. <laughs> I, don't, just, I don't know I want to be see for days on end yeah I mean it is a little wonky when you wake up and you look out and you like damn it's nothing but water I don't I don't see any land like hmm. yeah like I only have, look I've seen it obviously Titanic happened like a hundred years ago but like the fear is real okay so I I don't know but I also feel that all in all it's an unfortunate situation all around like regardless of like you know who's involved like dang like y'all didn't have to to pay the 250k it it's just now now the thing that's even crazier I'm sure you've probably seen it too but one other like you know little add-on I want to mention is have (laughs) you seen one of the passenger stepsons, his oh, own. the one that went to the Blink One Eighty Two concert. Oh, but also is very questionable on Twitter. My God, I saw some of the timeline. Yeah, um, everyone was like, "Oh, well, yeah, like fuck it." His tweet was something like, "Uh, they would have wanted me to do this." Literally, it is. Let me see if I can pronounce his name right. His name is Hamish Harding, which. I guess that's the name for a billionaire, but yes, his stepson is using Blink-182 to cope. Um, His tweet literally read, my stepdad Hamish is on this submarine lost at sea. I'm devastated, but coming to the San Diego show tonight so you guys can give me hope and cheer me up. Oh my God. I also saw where he was trying to holla at um, some women on the timeline by utilizing that same sentiment. Like, oh, like you know, it. I very, could probably go off. I could probably go off on like a whole nother tangent about him because as I was doing my little research, like it didn't take much. He has like some harassment allegations against him. It was a whole bunch of stuff. So I'm like, what? The story is already a lot. Like, it's a lot going on. This is a a movie. And unfortunately, writer strike right now. Um, (laughs) So we don't want to give the networks any ideas. But it is a movie, you know. It's is given but it, it's a movie but it's like given i wouldn't say to be but more like lifetime oh my god <laughs> it's given like a lifetime like when i think about lifetime well, movies lifetime television well there are no women on board with oh, well you well, maybe this is just a usa original <laughs> <laughs> okay okay yeah usa I don't even know. Does that network still around i don't even know I, honestly usa original i'm trying to think i don't know like maybe a limited series yeah. on hulu not even sure but it's it's a lot like this whole story as it's been developing just keeps getting wonkier and wonkier and yeah. wonkier i'm sure we're gonna get like a ton of updates tonight going into tomorrow but <laughs> So tonight's pretty much the last night, according to what I've seen in terms of like oxygen available and carbon dioxide 
when they talked about that and not having scrubbers on the submersible, like it's looking fairly bleak. I'm like bleak. You said this looking bleak. It's a little Memphis bleak, if you will. Um, like you know, I also understand like they have loved ones and like family members, and like they would like to you know be returned safely to them. And there's a 19 year old on there, like. Yeah. I just think they should have thought this through more. If yeah. I was a financial advisor to any of these people, no. I know. You don't need to go on here. I, even then, like, I feel like certain people are naturally adventurous and they feel compelled to just, you know, do things that other people wouldn't do or have unique experiences. I just don't see this. I don't know. This is I don't I just don't see why this was appeasing to them. It's it's not even in the neighborhood. It's not even the <laughs> suburb of appeasing for me. Not even the same zip code of appeasing for me. Like it's no. Uh but I guess like when you have a lot of disposable income, <laughs> sometimes you start feeling like you've done it all. And I never want to have this much money. If this is uh, what you oh. do. Would you have money like this? I don't think that's what we do, person. Oh, yeah. 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 One of our hands. Oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I I think like at a level, at a certain level of disposable income affords you like the, the idea. Gall. Like, yeah. Gall is, yes. We'll use gall. Because like when you think about uh, expeditions like Mount Everest and how much it costs. I think it was something like 40000 I might be off a little bit to climb Mount Everest. To climb a place that like can potentially take your life is like, wow, but you have to pay that money. Yeah. And it's like, there are way cuter expeditions <laughs> that you could do that are a lot safer. Local, right here in the US of A. <laughs> Like maybe taking a, a trip to, you know, abandoned theme parks. I watch those videos all the time. I think they're so interesting. I love urban exploration, but like they're not doing things like this. Um, but yeah, that's like, that's very something to chew on. Child, you know, again, thoughts and prayers and better them than me that's all i can say but you guys that is it for this week's episode of annoying not offended it has been a pleasure being joined by rennie riot for today's episode i loved our conversation about people pleasing content creation and you know just at the end of yourself making sure you give yourself a pat on the back and know you know that you can always fulfill your own needs and validate yourself so Rennie before I let you go can you tell my listeners where they can find you at or if you want to be found <laughs> I, well after I, the last few things we were talking about <laughs> <laughs> um but yes oh and also thank you for having me uh you can find me on Instagram success Twitter all at Rini and then R-I-O-T, um, Riot. And I think that's pretty much where I'm at. Instagram, that's what, yeah, like either of those spaces, places, and in your local bookstores, um, Barnes & Noble, 
Um, indie booksellers, of course, you can find my book. Not everyone is going to like you. Um, it's also available on Audible or Amazon if you so choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can hear me read it in my voice, accent all. <laughs> and yeah. Well, yes, you guys, I will make sure to put um, all of Rennie's links in the description for this episode, but go ahead, hit purchase. You know, we support our Black artists, Um, but that's it, you guys. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to Annoyed Not Offended with See It. Have a question or interested in sharing an annoyance of your own to be read on the show? Email annoyednotoffended at gmail.com. Also, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Annoyed Not Offended for more hilarious content and updates on the show. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, bye.